on the field, inside the clubhouse, and everything in between. This is Brewers Weekly. Here's Dominic Catronio. We're back for more. Yep, the second of three shows this week from spring training down in Phoenix, Arizona. Hi, everybody. I'm Dominic Catronio coming to you from the Valley of the Sun once again. Just to reiterate, in case uh, this is the first show you've listened to live this week, we've got a pod dropped in your feed, Brewers All Access, wherever you get your podcasts. The first of these shows from Monday night. List of guests on that one uh, include Sal Freelich, of course, the talk of early camp of his playing, maybe playing the infield. Also had a chance to catch up with Wade Miley in that one and a great conversation with Brewers pitching coach Chris Hook. That's all in Monday's episode. Go check that one out. Now, today's episode... Similar format. We're going to load it up as much as we can of getting these player interviews to you. Today's a little bit more on the younger side of things, all right? Joey Weimer talking about the new swing. We're going to talk to Tyler Black and his approach, what makes his eye so great. Also, of course, the boy wonder, Jacob Mizorowski. We're going to talk to him as well. And finally, we're also going to talk to uh, Matt Arnold here in the first hour of this program. Matt uh, was gracious with his time. We spent about 20, 25 minutes together talking about the Brew Crew and this offseason that it was. So that's going to come up in just a a little bit. Quick recap on what happened today. The Brewers played the Cubs. I don't know who the Cubs manager is. I forgot that they made a change. Yada, yada, yada. You know about all this. My Twitter mentions are a mess right now. I'm sick of it. I'm annoyed. These games don't count. I don't know why people care in... These games, like, I mean, Nick Madrigal was batting cleanup today for the Cubs. You know, in fact, they didn't even bring any media today because they're all back watching Cody Bellinger's introductory press conference. You can get all of this out when it matters, okay? Talk to me in May, okay? Now I don't have to bring talk about this again because the Cubs don't play in Maryville for the rest of spring. The Brewers will go there uh, twice. So I'm, I'm good. I'm good. It's fine. We'll talk about it again in May, but I'm good. Yes, Craig Council's on the other side. It looked weird. He said hello to some players, and people are mad about it. I, I just don't get that. But nonetheless, we move on before John. The offense a little quiet today. Uh, a lot of the younger kids getting some, some reps in there. Uh, William Contreras continues to have a daily highlight, though. He caught a, a good chunk of the game, had an RBI double in this one, too. Garrett Mitchell, a couple of hits, including an infield hit, and uh, also... Jackson Troyo was 0 for 3. Kind of as uh, a human day for him isn't necessarily a bad day. To reminder, hey man, baseball is hard. Things of that nature. A couple of highlights from today's game, though. I think the biggest one for me is J.B. Bukowskis. J.B. Bukowskis struck out the side in the third inning, all on sliders. In fact, he threw the first seven pitches were strikes. He had a chance for an immaculate inning in spring training. And as I actually reported this uh, earlier in camp that it was news to me and news to a lot of people around the team, or at least you know covering this team, that, hey, Jake, that JB has a fourth option. It's a rarely used rule. It's meant for players that are injured and had already exhausted all of their option years. Uh, there are very specific rules about how many days you've spent on an active roster, how many days you've spent on a 60-day IL, how many days you've spent in the minor leagues on a rehab assignment. It's very specific. He met all the criteria and what it allows, it's good for both because for the player, he gets to prove himself one last chance. He doesn't have to go through the, the DFA waiver claim gamut that can sometimes be a black hole. And from the team perspective, cool, you get another year of control and get him on the shuttle between Nashville and Milwaukee. And even Pat Murphy today, after watching that, he's pitched twice in 
in real spring training games so far. Pat Murphy says, yeah, he's going to pitch in the big leagues, I guarantee. And I agree entirely. JB was certainly a highlight of today's pitchers that came out. Trevor McGill also debuted a new cutter today. Uh, he only threw it once. He got a foul tip on it. It was like 94 miles an hour. He also touched 99 miles an hour with his fastball, too. Uh, the cutter seems to be the pitch of the flamethrowers between McGill, and we already learned Abner Uribe is learning to throw a cutter. This is what spring training is for. The same reason Sal Freelich's learning third, same reason Tyler Black's learning first, same reason Oliver Dunn's learning third. You know, you can experiment. You can try things this time of year. Brewers are taking on the defending world champions tomorrow, the Texas Rangers, out in surprise. Quick note for me, I'm taking the day off tomorrow. We got a lot more content coming your way. Uh, and, and with all due respect, surprise is really, really far from me. It's about an hour and a half. It's basically driving to Chicago for me to, uh, to get that one in. So we're not uh, doing that. I'll be listening just like you on the webcast from Surprise. Then they're back home on Friday taking on the uh, Cincinnati, or not the Reds, I beg your pardon. All right, it is it is the uh, the, the Reds, if I'm not mistaken, uh, on Friday, and then that will also maybe maybe be the tentative debut of Reese Hoskins and Christian Yelich in live Cactus League play. They've been taking live abs, they've been in simulated games, they've been in that sort of thing, but we haven't seen them obviously on the field. Looking forward to hearing more from those guys on Friday morning. So that's a quick little lay of the land of what's going gone down today in the last couple of days. Also, Gary Sanchez slowly ramping up baseball activities. He uh, hit batting practice for the first time today. He hasn't seen live real pitching yet, uh, but they're taking it slow with him for obvious reasons with the hand issue that flared up a couple of weeks ago. And Pat Murphy says he expects to be ready without any setbacks Expects to be ready for opening day. So, you know, we're, we're almost at injury update time. It's almost March. I mean, we're 29 days away from opening day. Fire me up. Okay, up next, we're going to get into a three-part segment here uh, of my conversation with Matt Arnold. Taped this yesterday before the game in Tempe against the Angels. Wide-ranging conversation. A little bit about scouting. A little bit about trades. A little bit about Murph. I really think you're going to enjoy this conversation. So we're going to take our first break of the night and come back as we get ready to sit down and chat with the Brewers general manager, Matt Arnold, after this on WTMJ. Back with more Brewers Weekly after this. Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. Very grateful to have the professional relationship that I have with Matt Arnold in his first couple of years on the job. Just approached him uh, last week. Hey, man, you want to sit down in your office, talk about the team, talk about the offseason for a little bit? He was all ears, and I really appreciate the access he's given me. And uh, also another thank you to Chris Hook for Monday's episode. I really thought that was some great stuff. So uh, we're going to hear from Matt Arnold over the next three segments or so. Take uh, a listen to what the man in charge has to say from a busy year. Here's Matt Arnold. Busy offseason, to say the least. I know I talked to you about this with uh, the Brandon Woodruff signing getting official, and you said you haven't had a chance to, to sit down and kind of reflect yet. I'm forcing you to sit down and kind of reflect because, I mean, I've, I said this on Twitter, and I've said this in a column where, you know, after a team gets funding from its government, you know, Madison and everything went down with that, extended to 2050, to have the offseason you've turned in from the player side of things – are you satisfied? Are you happy with the way things shook out? Um, 
Yeah, I mean, look, we we are sitting down, right? I, mean, I, I don't know if we're. I, I, I legitimately have not had a chance to reflect on on the off season because, uh, frankly, it's not over. You right. know, I mean, we still have time before opening day. We have a lot of decisions to make, some challenging ones, and I, and I think that's a good thing. Um, but look, I, I think we were we were very busy, and obviously, we want to try to thread this needle where we're trying to put the best best team we possibly can on the field uh, in twenty four, and then obviously keep it on the future as well, which is really tricky and. Hopefully we were able to accomplish, um, you know, chipping away at both of those goals. Again, I don't think we're ever satisfied with the results. Um, we always want to stay hungry and, and continue to work. Um, but yeah, when you, when you kind of look back or have the chance to look back, hopefully it's it's you know it's a very productive off season for us. I think the the payroll question always comes up. We know with this market and we know with everything. But you made a point to thank Mark for a little extra support this year, and you know being able to add the options to Reese's deal, being able to add, and even a mutual option for, for Brandon Woodruff. You know, what were those conversations like with Mark of saying, you know, hey, we know there's a chance it's a one-and-done kind of thing with Reese or, you know, one-and-done with Woody next year. What are those conversations like? It was like, you know what, go for it. Let's get him back. They're easy. Honestly, Mark is super competitive and really, really wants to win. He, he loves this city and he loves the Brewers and he, he wants to put a good product on the field. So those conversations are great and they're a lot of fun for me. Um, certainly, you know, having his support is a big part of why we've had success for so many years. There's no question. We can't do this without his support. And whether that's on the field or, frankly, in, you know, even in our facilities where we talked about uh, before we hopped on here with the, the Dominican Academy and just all the energy around there and, and just incredible support for from Mark, you know, the entire ownership group uh, from top to bottom in this franchise. This has been a year that I think – Obviously, it didn't end how you wanted it to last year and the wild card round. And the reaction to that, you know, the slugging wasn't what it, you wanted it to be last year. You go out and get Reese Hoskins. You're worried, are you going to get a return for Corbin Burns? You get D.L. Hall, Joey Ortiz, and a pick. I, I feel like the checklist has gone pretty well as far as the obvious needs. And I know the offseason isn't over, but how do you how do you assess of like, okay, wanted to address some slugging, wanted to figure out what's going on with these arms and the starting side of things. Is, is there anything I'm missing there? No, I think I think you're right. I mean, look, we're, again, we're, we're trying to just get better in every facet of the game, and I think it's it's obviously challenging. We won 92 games last year. We're proud of that. We exited early, you know, and, and that doesn't leave a good taste in anybody's mouth here. That Those hurt, you know, and, and especially when you pour a lot of time and energy into a long season and then to have it end so quickly. Um I think it galvanizes our group a little bit, and I think it brings us together in a way where we we really, really want to bear down and see how we can get better. And so, to your point, I think you know bringing in guys like Reese Hoskins, also bringing bringing guys back like Wade Miley, Colin Ray, um, and then extending somebody like Jackson Cherio, kind of doing the long term business that we need to do as well. Uh, we feel good about where we're headed. I was going to save the Jackson question for later, but let's just go ahead and get to it. I mean, he's young, shocker, I know, but. It's spring training. It's big league spring training. It's his first one, like actually in the big league clubhouse. There's a lot of change happening for this kid. And I know Yelly did a great job in his like opening, you know, session with us in the media, saying like, hey, like take it easy on this kid. I know it's not that easy, but what have you seen in these first few weeks from Jackson to say he's going to adapt? We're still a month away from from opening day. Yeah, I, I think. You know, we obviously care about this guy a ton, and and having it starts back even giving him you know one of the largest signing bonuses in franchise history. Certainly since I've been here, 
Um, and this, this kid is really built right, you know, and, and I think we've seen him be prepared for this type of attention. Um, he's up for the challenge. He recognizes that there are a lot of other good outfielders that we have, um, and he wants it, you know, and, and I think when you see this guy on the field and just watching him yesterday, I mean, he took a walk yesterday and he was disappointed, you know, which is, which is nice because he's looking to do damage every swing and, and coming unglued on some of those. And is there an approach, you know, adjustment there? Maybe at some point, but I love the, I love the, just the, uh, the approach that, that he wants to go in there and do damage on every swing. Um, and he's so young. And again, I think the sky's the limit for this kid and our coaches believe in him, which is, which is an awesome thing. Isn't it kind of crazy when you sit down and think, you know, he had a, a week and a half in AAA, and you flash back 15 years. Oh, he didn't get his, you know, he didn't get 300 plate appearances in AAA. He didn't get a full season in that. Though, times have changed. What do you react to the way that guys move through systems so much faster these days? Yeah, look, I, I, we want to move guys quickly, and we want to move them when they're ready, and, and he's shown that he's up for every challenge. I mean, when uh, Nestor Cordor is, it was his manager in, in winter ball, and he said that this this kid is the best player in the whole league down there in Venezuela, you know, and he's really young. And so when you hear that from, from a, a veteran coach that's been around this game a long time and you see what our analytics are saying as well. And, and, you know, even going back to our scouts as an amateur, I mean, just everything, all the arrows point in the right direction for this kid. I, I feel like for Jackson, you've mentioned he's always met the challenges. What are, aside from the obvious, it's the best league in the world. What are the challenges that he would face if he makes the open day roster? I, I think it's, it's going to be, um, you know, some of the day-to-day preparation. I think some of the adjustments that these guys can make at the big league level that he's probably not seen in the minor leagues. Um, but again, he's so talented that you know he can out athlete. I think the game at certain levels, uh, but it's also going to adjust. And then, and then the other piece of that is just you know you have these guys that can kind of get to just about everything with their swing, and just making sure that he stays within himself and that he knows when he can do damage on certain pitches and when the walks there, just take the walk and get the next one. So with this outfield logjam that you've got kind of faced right now, Sal obviously trying to learn the infield and. When Murphy called you and was saying, I, I have this vision of Sal Freelich playing the infield, what was your honest first reaction? Yeah, honestly, we've, we've talked about this for a long time. It wasn't really that recent. I mean, going back to when, uh, even frankly, when he was drafted, you know, there, there's always been this in his back pocket. And, um, you know, our scouts identified this guy as just a really good baseball player, you know. And, and when you see this guy that has that kind of, makeup and that's willing to do these things and understands that hey he just wants to help the team and we know that we have some depth in the outfield and then we brought it to him and he was all in on it and then being able to work with Dustin Pedroia who's his hero growing up it's a really cool story so again not to put too much pressure on the guy but if there's anybody that can make that transition itself really and you've got the coaching staff around him to help with that and what Matt Erickson has done the last couple of years and what you have talented wise on the dirt, Jason Lane, the list goes on of guys that I should be mentioning of just, you have a way on the defensive side of the ball, you know, Walker and Charlie, they've got their thing going on behind the plate, but you know, don't sleep on your infield defense as well. Yeah. I think that that has been a calling card for a while uh, for us. And, and I think you see it with at least the guys up the middle that we've had here for a long time and, and Willie and, uh, and Terang. And then, you know, I think bringing in somebody like Joey Ortiz and, and just the calling card of our defense uh, is a really big deal, you know, and, and it's something that 
Um, it's it's like it's like a, a blanket, you know, behind a, a, a starting pitcher. It's just a nice, comfortable thing to have that you can let the ball, you know, get in play, and then have these balls that are maybe hit hard converted into outs. That's that's a huge deal for our starters and our relievers. So to have those guys behind them, and again, a huge credit to our coaches that work with these guys every day. They do a tremendous job. I mean, Team Gold Glove Award, but you know, <laughs> one finalist in Santana. I don't know who does the voting on this because it's it's. I know it's not so much media related; it's more team related on the Gold Glove stuff. Yeah, I don't know. We'll have some conversations with the voters maybe at some point. But no, I, I'm 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 not. We don't we don't do this for awards. We just want to win games. But we but we like to talk about the awards. You know, that's what that's what keeps me employed in a way. I still can't believe that that you know one actual winner, Carlos Santana, who only spent two months with the team, but the team wins the team gold glove award. Make it make sense, nonetheless. Just getting going with our conversation with Matt Arnold. Take a break. Come back with more from the general manager of your Milwaukee Brewers after this on WTMJ. More Brewers Weekly coming up on WTMJ. On WTMJ. Matt Arnold. Uh, we, we got deep into it with uh, Chris Hook the other night. I'm really fascinated with Matt Arnold's scouting background and how the Brewers still have a pretty big scouting department. We get into a little bit of that coming up in this next segment. Here's more of our conversation with Brewers general manager Matt Arnold. When it comes to the trade with Corbin, and you described it as getting over the line, and this, and we just watched DL Hall's live, and that first inning was some of the grossest stuff I think I've seen in a long time. I, I see why you say it got over the line. Did you think he was ever going to be dangled in front of you or even Joey or even the extra pick? Like, are you surprised at how long it took given? It seemed like such an obvious fit you know, from afar of that, hey, a one-year deal for the Orioles who need starting pitching, and then they've got a plethora of arms. Did you, are, were you surprised of the package you ended up getting? Yeah, look, I, I mean, the, the when you have these types of conversations, they can take a lot of different ebbs and flows, and at some point you're like, man, I think we're close here, and then the next minute it, it sort of starts to go another direction, and there's market forces that are involved, there are people that are involved, um, timing, you know, all, all kinds of different situations that come into play, but, you know, look, I, I think a good baseball deal is, is one that helps both sides. I mean, really, like, it, it, I, I don't ever want to – you know, rip anybody off. I think it's a, it's a nice way to do business where you get some, the other guy gets something that they need and want and that helps them. And we get players that help us, you know, and I think that's, that's a good way to do business. And certainly anytime you give up somebody like Corbin Burns, you know, you're giving up a really, really talented player. Uh, but we felt like at the same time we were getting really good talent back. And like you said, just what we just watched out of DL Hall was pretty impressive. And what we've seen early here out of Joey Ortiz and then trusting our scouts to, to continue the good work that they've done in the draft with the with the draft pick is something that we're we're excited about here. When it comes to your player development and what you've been able to do, the draft pick as you mentioned, and what you did with last year's draft coming down to the final few dollars of signing bonus money, that's another strength that doesn't really get publicized all that much because it's not very visible, right? Player development doesn't necessarily happen a overnight and b not always linear. So what are you most proud of and what do you want to share about that player development side that you have the confidence of, in particular, last year's draft and using an extra pick in the Corbin Burns deal? 
Yeah, look, it, I mean, I think you're right. It's it's something we are proud of. It, it, it does take a village to, to make all that work and a huge credit to the kind of the, the combination of, of work that have, have been done both by our, our international and, and amateur d- domestic scouts as, as, as well as all of our coaches in the minor leagues. And, you know, you see these guys that come up and now we're looking on the field today and right behind DL Hall in this in this sim game you have Cooper Pratt and Mike Bovee right and and like those are two guys we're really excited about and they came out of our draft last year um you know the the difference I think in our sport is like in the in the NBA NFL these guys just hop right into the into the their version of the major leagues right and so ours is a journey and and that just doesn't happen in our sport almost almost never and so um, you know, it just takes a very long time to cultivate this talent. And so we get excited when we see these young guys out here and they're performing well, but it just takes so long. And so, again, it's just a, a credit to our staff that just does a phenomenal job identifying these guys with the ability to grow and then handing them off to a really talented group of coaches that gets the most out of them. You still have a sizable scouting staff. And, yeah. you know, as we know in this game, that's changed with a lot of teams where is the line, the marriage of being a forward-thinking, you know, analytics is a catch-all, but I don't think it's the right word, of just being able to find margins and find chances to be better and still having the eyes and maybe more of the qualitative, you know, look at players. Where does that lie between scouting and analytics? That's a, that's a whole other podcast. We got buddy. time, I, lo- I love it, man. I, and it's one of my favorite topics because I, I, I have, a uh, obviously, a, a long background in um, – and working in the front office and scouted for years and years. So um, a lot of good stories from both sides, and I, and I think there's a ton of value to both. And I love being a fly on the wall for the arguments on both sides and, and frankly, being able to play both sides in those arguments, which is fun for me. Um, but I, I, I think the the marriage of the, of the information together from the scout's perspective and the analytics is both incredibly valuable. And how you bring that together, how you blend all that together is still more art than science. Um, you know, I, I don't know if anybody has the perfect answer, but I think when the, for, at least for me, I don't know if it's rocket science, it's just, let's have our information directionally pointing us in the same direction. And when the analytics agree with the scouts and vice versa, that's, that's a good thing. I was talking to Chris Hook yesterday and he was in Monday's episode of the show and kind of sort of that where his background of being on the minor league side of things for so long and being able to have his eyes tell him something and then he feels reassured when he goes to computer and that agrees whenever you're evaluating your team or your player or a trade that comes across the line and you're like okay well i remember this that, and the other about this guy and then you go into your system you say okay well that spits out that number that's what i expected is there so okay yeah this is what the experience was all for it's kind of this is i don't know if there's a question there but it's just like yeah this is this is how you you try to win games in the big leagues absolutely yeah absolutely i mean i don't think there's any trade that we're we're making where we're not talking to our scouts or we're not watching video on these guys i mean there's there is a human element to the game. We want to dig on the players, and, it, and it's not just uh, performance. It's it's how they're going to fit as well, and we, we really value makeup as well. Um, I think that shows up on our you know in our major league clubhouse and having the right types of people, the right types of leaders. Um, you know, not everybody's a choir boy. We get that. Um, you know, we just want them to do some damage uh, on the field. And look, it, it, I think bringing the right types of people into our clubhouse is something that, that we, we, we work very hard to identify. Uh, last one on this kind of subject that I want to get into to Murph before we leave. We hear about clubhouse guy, or we hear about, oh, you, you can't quantify what a guy's impact is. You've kind of bucked that trend. And 
Last year, yes, he helped your team. Carlos Santana is known as one of the best dudes in baseball. You bring back Brandon Woodruff knowing he's not going to pitch for your team this year, but he's going to rehab and travel with the club all year long. I, I think from maybe an analytic point of view, somebody would say from the outside, why would you do that? So why is the clubhouse still a thing? Why does that matter so much? It's it's funny. When I, when I first got started, I had a, a veteran guy that had been doing this a long time. He said, good makeup is a guy that hits 30 homers and drives in 100. And, and over time, I, and I appreciate that perspective, I think over time what I've seen the more I've done this is just that, that there are humans involved here. And, and you can have guys that hit 30 and drive in 100 that are that don't fit, you know. And, and obviously, like, we want that type of production. But there are guys that do other things, um, you know, in the clubhouse that can also impact the guy next to them, you know. And, and it's like working in an office and you want to work with good teammates, you know. And that's all this is. is It's not just coming to work and kumbaya. I mean, we want guys that want to compete and um, you know, having all those ingredients and working together down there because it is such a long season and it is such a grind. And when you get into these environments where, like, the, it, it becomes toxic, like, it, it, it turns into bad baseball, you know, and it really does. And so certainly something that we believe in here that helps us win games. There's still such a great clubhouse dynamic in this current clubhouse. Now, it's a great blend, right? The veterans, the pillars, if you will, as Pat Murphy has called them, and the kids, the freshmen and sophomores, as Pat Murphy has called them. So I really like the dynamic. It feels loose, feels light, feels like spring training right now. So really good stuff so far from Matt. we got one more segment with him. Got to take another break. And after this, our final segment with uh, some Q&A with Brewers General Manager Matt Arnold. After this on WTMJ. Catch more Brewers Weekly coming up on WTM. Miniature stores in Brookfield, Greenfield, or downtown Milwaukee. This is Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. All right, one more with Matt Arnold as uh, we get into the actual team at hand and, of course, his new manager, Pat Murphy. Take a listen to Matt. All right, let's let's talk about Murph now. I mean, continuity is a big thing for your club, and you told us in the introductory press conference of, of what you were searching for, and he fit all three items that you were looking for. And I think the desire to win is probably the number one thing. I loved his speech the other day addressing the team of just, oh, no, the old guy got the job. No, no, I'm, I'm here to win until they tap us out. He's an intense dude. and He's, he's ready to go, isn't he? For sure. Yeah, that's yeah, – I mean, you, you can't spend more than two minutes with Murph and know that he's not wanting to win, you know, and, and that's what we love him. I mean, he's been – part of this thing and a huge part of this thing frankly you know this is my ninth year with him you know and and having a guy like that that comes in and and wants to challenge everybody he wants you to be uncomfortable you know and I think he wants you to know that you're going to be challenged he's going to push you outside your comfort zone in order to make you better like it, it is in a productive way where he pushes everybody to to their max you know and he wants you to be the best version of yourself and so I certainly appreciate when he does that he does it to me I think in a good way and all of our staff and our players, and so uh, I love to go to war with a guy like that. Have you had anybody reach out to you since the hire, even with Ricky as well, if somebody's like, you guys nailed this, what a guy, and people that have reached out, you know, singing their praises for both Murph and Ricky? A lot, yeah, certainly. And, and look, th these guys have a lot of street cred, you know, when it comes to guys in the game, and, and Murph won a 1,000 games as a college coach um, at big schools. He's been a – he's worn every hat in the game, you know, and he's won everywhere, and so – I think having him been here um, and, and one with him already and keeping our staff together, I think we're going to do a lot more of that with, with him and Ricky as our leaders here going forward. When you see the guys react 
to Murph and the reaction from the the actual guys on your team when it was official that he was going to be your guy? Did anything, you know, stick out to you? Was there any any reactions that you were just like, okay, yeah, I can. This is the guy that we want to have. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, so many of these guys, whether it was players that want to play here, our 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 guys that we currently have, our staff that likes working with Murph. Uh, he keeps it fun, you know. I mean, he he certainly challenges you, but like, don't forget about how much fun this guy is to work with too. I mean, he really does keep it light. Um, there's certainly windows of darkness, um, but in a, in a good way, really, in a productive way. And so I think, you know, all of our staff and uh, and all the players were certainly very excited. So as we wrap things up here, I do want to get a little bit of team talk of you know once once this gets trimmed down to 26 and you have to make those hard decisions. As I look at this pitching staff, I mean, I see more than five starters. I I feel like this isn't going to be a traditional five-man up, five-man down, move on, move on. This is going to have to be a creative year from you guys, is it not? Yeah, I think it is just about every year, honestly. I mean, last year I think it took, what was it, 60, 61 players, Something I like think. That. I mean, we, you know, it's a lot of a lot of guys, and I think that's that's our jam. You know, we have to build up our depth, and we don't know who's going to emerge, you know, and I think – We've talked about this before, but even the guys like Woodruff, Burns, Peralta, they all went through bumps along the way, you know, and we had to option these guys at different points in their in their journey, and they all emerged better, you know, and so Murph is going to be the right guy to, to challenge these guys. Obviously, you mentioned earlier uh, Chris Hook, uh, Jim Henderson, all of our pitching guys, I think just they work so well with this group, and I think they're going to get the most out of that group. The line that I've always said is that you can never have enough pitching. And everyone calls into my show is like, why, why they sign Joe Ross? Or why they sign Jacob Junis? Why they sign this? And then you know, and I'm like, look, <laughs> this is this month. Yeah, you can knock on all the wood you want. Stuff goes down, and it and depth is a good thing, right? Absolutely. Yeah, you you can never have enough arms. I don't think we're ever at the point where it's like, ah, we're good on pitching. You know, nobody ever says that. I haven't heard that. Um, you know, and and so we have a lot of guys that are. Are talented that have had in some cases good minor league success we have some guys that have had a, a lot of major league success and sort of blending that all together coupled with what we think is a really strong bullpen is uh is an exciting group to have let me give you your last one here and then get you on your way we got to go to tempe and go watch some baseball but uh, I, I think for a guy that now you've got a lifetime in baseball you've got a manager that's got a lifetime in baseball and from this heck of an offseason between the DR, Madison, everything like that. And you're out here watching lives with us, sitting in, in the shade, watching DL Hall. What keeps you going, man? What what makes you love – what do you love about baseball? What do you love about this game that you get to be in a top chair? Um, Just the people, honestly, like just being around it and, and you know, listening to Yelly, you know, yell at, at me off the field. You know, stuff like that is fun. And being around our staff and talking to them, I, I got to say hi to Eric Brown Jr.'s dad. Eric Brown Sr., you know, just like he came up to me and said hello. It's just those kind of connections are really cool, you know, and, and to be a, a part of this is something that's incredibly humbling, and I'm so fortunate to do it and kind of pinch myself, honestly, with this opportunity, and, and I love working with our group, and uh, hopefully there's a lot more exciting things to come. I love that you had your son also call Murph to say, like, hey, you're going to get the job. That, was, is there a backstory yeah. there? Why Why was your son? Or? So, he, yeah, I mean, Murph has always been great to, to Tyler. And, you know, the, the cool thing was, you know, he's he's taught my son, and I don't know if this is a good or bad thing, he's told him a lot of, taught a lot of, him a lot of swear words. <laughs> um, and he always says, you know, you can use those those words around your glove. And so, you know, not around mom or anything like that, but just around just around your glove. And so... 
Um, they've had a lot of fun growing up, and, and Tyler is just at that age where he just loves the game and he loves Murph. And so I thought, well, hey, buddy, why don't you call him and offer him the job? And that was really cool. That was a cool moment. That's very fun. Well, I wish you all the best. Thanks for taking some time with us here at WTMJ, and uh, looking forward to talking to you more all season long. Likewise. Thanks, Tom. He's great. Uh, I really appreciate Matt's time once again. Uh, we'll check in with him throughout the season here on WTMJ. Of course, you can also hear him on Peru's 360 mornings during the regular season with the Wisconsin Morning News crew with Vince, Eric, Adam, and company. Uh, hope you enjoy some of that content that's coming there. Okay, much appreciated, Matt. We got to talk a little bit about Pat Murphy. He was really, really uh, interesting today. I mean, he's interesting every day. But really interesting about team building and the modern game. I want to get some of those quotes here as uh, we're approaching the end of our first hour of two of Brewers Talk right here on your home of the Brewers, WTMJ. This is Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. Welcome back. I'm Dominic Catronio, first of two hours tonight. Then we got a 90-minute show on Friday, given the Brew or the uh, Bucks will be playing the Bulls for a late night tip, so we will get out of the way for Bucks talk on that one. Uh, I wanted to get to some of this audio today about Pat Murphy. I know we haven't talked really extensively about Murph and what kind of a manager he will be and what his philosophies are with baseball. And some of the commentary I've seen, I know this doesn't represent everybody. Is they assume you know Pat's in his in his sixties. He's oh he's going to be an old school guy. They're going to be bunting. They're going to be playing small ball. This dude is sharp, man. I I don't see it that way. And he really went on a, a good riff today on a couple of things of just roster construction and team construction. And specifically, as we talked about with Matt Arnold a little bit ago about the analytics age and that there's a scouts perspective and there's uh, a analytic perspective and how much he understands about all of that stuff. But the research and development, the R&D, if you will, it, it, it's kind of too late to start one, right? Everybody pretty much has one. And how can you find those little margins to get better? Don't think that Murph isn't looking at the data. You know, I think he made a great point. Let's take a listen to what he had to say earlier today. I mean, the number, when you guys say the numbers, I, th- I think you mean the information of the, the, the precise information of, you know, what's this guy's range, what's this guy's first step, what's this guy's, you know, uh, barrel entry. You know what I mean? Like, though that information is just like old school baseball. It's just a little more precise, and it doesn't take into account instinctive stuff. Right. But sometimes, it can, over, over a, a big sample size, you kind of see the instinctive stuff come out in it, you know? Um, so I think there's a blend. You know, I don't think, hey, this is an analytics team. Every team's an analytics team. You know, you're way behind if you don't have uh, an R&D department that's providing players with information through the coaching staff, you know? So I, I think there's, it really is... We're past the point of this is analytics teams. This is not, you know, all of them are doing it. Yeah. People say the Braves are not because the coaching staff doesn't preach it. You know what I mean? Well, we don't preach it either, but it doesn't mean we're not. You know, so I think it's we're getting to the point in baseball where everybody's using it. Yeah, you, know, you have to. It's precise information. It's not our guess. My gut 
gets influenced by the information I have. You know what I mean? You, you tell me the kid runs a, you know, his first step is this good, and he runs his, this. This is his speed. You know, you kind of see it clear. You know, um, but you still let your instincts say, "Hey, there's something about this kid. Something I don't know what it is. My experience is telling me there's something here." It's like self really. I mean, I don't know that the analytics are good or bad on this guy. To be honest with you, I know one thing: he's a ball player. You know what I mean? And is it pretty all the time? No. You know, but I trust him. And that's what you get to, and all that information helps you get there. He's he's got it uh, all figured out, right? You know, it's not that easy, of course. The ball player description is one we've heard a few times now about Sal Freelich and a few other guys on this team. Tyler Black, who we're going to talk to in the second hour of this program, has been described as that as well. But as he constructs this team, and as I asked him a little bit earlier today about how, look, you've got guys that can play all over the place, and maybe you can get creative with things. And, you know, I think of like a Tyler Black, right? Let's, Let's use him as an example since we're going to talk to him in the second half. You know, yes, he's not... A, a, an above-average, shocking, great-glove third baseman. Could he be a league-average third baseman defensively? Sure. Is that going to hurt the Brewers? No. And if his bat is going to help them out, it's a trade-off. And there's it's the, the phrase, there's no such thing as a free lunch. It applies to baseball, too. You know, it, if you think that, oh, man, he can't play third base, he won't be helping the team, what, what do you mean? What if he hits, you know, 20 homers and steals 40 bags? That's that's some great production, and I, I think Murph used a great example, calling it soup. Here's what he had to say: Two separated out things. So you'll hear me say this a lot. It's it's philosophical, but if you just focus on defense, you know what I mean. And then you look at our defense, and then there's our offense, and then there's our pitching, and you can break that to starters and relievers. You know, it's like holy. I like to say it all affects each other. So if the defense has got a potential, we could put a great, we could put three center fielders and three shortstops in the game. That's not necessarily the the, the recipe. You know, the recipe is kind of the soup has to taste good. You just keep stirring it. You know, a little bit of this, a little bit of this, too much of this can make you really exposed over there. So I think that because the the, the pitching and the uh, is so um, inexperienced from their current roles you know what I mean that there might be reason to, to be really mindful of more defense capabilities but you know you got to take care of everything you know you can't just you can't be a team a football team that just runs the option you know what I mean you got to be able to be diverse so we might have to give up some defense to get something somewhere else so it's all about how much is how much is enough? How much is the question? That's what spring training is for. I'm up against the break, falling a little behind. We're going to take a breather, get ready to re-rack the top of the hour in just a moment on WTMJ. More Brewers Weekly coming up on WTMJ. Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. Hey, I know it's going to sound silly, but I got to burn a break. We fell a little behind there in the first hour, but the news is coming up here at the top of the hour 
And then we'll be right back with more Brewers Weekly. we got a whole another hour to talk about the Brew Crew uh, as spring training continues to roll on from down here. Some player guests include Jacob Mizorowski, Tyler Black, and Joey Weimer. That's all coming up here after the news at the top of the hour. Stay with us, WTMJ. Inside the clubhouse and everything in between, this is Brewers Weekly. Here's Dominic Catronio. Okay, let's keep on going as Brewers Weekly continues on WTMJ. We're going to lean into more a player side of things of the show here coming up in this next hour, going all the way till 9 o'clock this evening. Then we have another show on Friday. So I want to open this side of things up with just some pitching thoughts. And, you know, from what we've learned this week and what we've already heard from Matt Arnold and Pat Murphy in this show, I, I, I look at this roster... And I'm looking at the starters and some of the exercises I've been doing with some friends and some people that are close to the team and some just, all right, name the rotation. And you sit there, okay, Freddie, and you pause, <laughs> you know, that that's that's for sure. And yes, and you can say, oh, well, well what about Wade? Yeah, 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 I know, I know. But like, he, he still have to have a little bit of luck, as we heard from him on Monday. Like, you need to make sure he's healthy. He hasn't even thrown, you know, in a live session yet. He's done bullpens. He's taking it very, very slow right now, trying to make sure he's going to be good to go. Sounds like D.L. Hall is going to be starting. From what I saw the other day, I'm fired up to see that. So they're going to give D.L. Hall every opportunity to be a starter. So you got those three names for sure, in my opinion. Then what? Colin Ray and Jacob Junis, neither one of those guys really faced more than a second time through the order. I mean, Junis especially not, because he was mostly uh, an opener a year ago, and that slider is a serious weapon. I mean, 86 innings last year, uh, only just uh, 112 the inning prior, uh, the season prior, and 39 back in 2021. So he's not going to suddenly balloon up to 145, 150 innings out of nowhere, Double, almost double his inning use uh, year over year. Granted, the strikeout rate was great last year. You hope he can maintain that as he goes along, but I don't see that happening. As for Colin Ray, he almost never faced a third time through the order, like ever. And same sort of thing with him. Now, I know he pitched uh, overseas and came back and has pitched very well. He still made 26 appearances, 22 of those were starts in 124 innings. If you can get another 125 or so, 140-ish innings from Colin Ray, I think you're going to be satisfied, but... When you go beyond that, so let's say Colin Ray's your four. So is it going to be something creative with Joe Ross and Jacob Junis? Is it going to be something creative with Joe Ross and Aaron Ashby? Is it going to be something creative where it's not uh, Joe Ross or it's not Junis and it's Ashby given he's got the extension already? So the, both of those guys, I mean, they came in as free agents. I, I don't see the Brewers... You know, cutting ties with those guys. You don't make decisions until they have to. And then you, you look back at Bryce Wilson. Bryce Wilson doesn't have any options either. And he's a kind of guy that can do whatever the team asks of him to do. Unsung hero from a year ago, given how important he was for the Brewers. And just rock, solid, steady stuff. But now, you know, you've added Taylor Clark, who's got one option here remaining. So you can move him back and forth between Nashville. We've already talked about J.B. Bukowskis at the top of the show. He can be moved back and forth. I see this sort of melt, this sort of you know, pot of mixture swingman relievers, you know, the four or five traditional starter spots and maybe three long relievers. And they'll start and 
tandem with each other and do all that sort of thing. Because then you can look at the the leverage guys as you know Devin Williams, Yoel Payams, Trevor McGill, Abner Uribe, and Hobie Milner. And I haven't even mentioned Elvis Peguero, who's also optionable. So I, I just think that beyond the three guys of Freddie Wade and D.L. Hall, it's going to be funky. And I'm, I th- be prepared for it, okay? They're going to do something different. You're going to see a lot of transactions, a lot of movement between Nashville and Milwaukee. And this is what Matt Arnold kind of teased a little earlier in the show. Saying, like, we, we have to be creative. We have to do things a little bit differently this year. And I, I look back to, to last season. I look back to the Brewers and, and how they survived without Brandon Woodruff for the majority of the season. And, and reminder, Wade Miley missed a good chunk of the season, too, with the serratus muscle he, in total, Burns made 32 starts, didn't miss a start. Freddie made 30 starts, also did not miss a start. All-star break kind of broke that up. They're going to miss Adrian Hauser, but I, I could see D.L. Hall getting 25 starts right now. 25 to 30 starts they would certainly hope for from him. But then you look down, Wade and Colin Ray were virtually the same in innings pitched. Hauser only threw 111 innings, and... Woodruff only threw 67. In fact, Julio Tehran threw more innings than Brandon Woodruff last season. Yoel Piomps threw more innings than Brandon Woodruff last season. Bryce Wilson threw more innings than Brandon Woodruff last season. So they're going to get creative with this. Be prepared for that. And as camp moves along, and I know some folks are wondering, well, when are we going to see the main names? When are we going to see the main guys on the main field? I I think the Brewers just want to keep it at like two innings on the Sim games as opposed to doing all the extra fluff to get them onto the big league field. You know, Joe Ross will pitch tomorrow in surprise, and I'm looking forward to watching him pitch against the defending world champs. But I think we'll see Freddie hopefully by the end of next week, and we'll start seeing some of those guys pop up into actual live games and getting like three, four innings. Like we saw Jordan Wicks get three innings today for the Cubs. I think we'll start seeing that pop off next week for the Brew Crew. So just some pitching thoughts to kind of lead us into our next guest coming up after the break. We're going to talk to the young phenom, the one, the only, Jacob Mizorowski. Stay with us, WTMJ. Catch more Brewers Weekly coming up on WTMJ. Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. The talented, tall arm, the Slenderman, Jacob Mizorowski, kind of in the talk of early camp, listed at six foot seven, 190 pounds, only 21 years old, and... He looks about 11 years old. I'm not going to lie. He's a baby face, but he's a great kid. I got a chance to chat with him the last few days here in camp. We'll have some more talking about some of the numbers and what the year was like for Jacob Mizorowski, but here's a little bit of time with The Miz, as they call him, the Brewers' top pitching prospect. Welcome back on Brewers Weekly Spring Training Edition. I'm Dominic Catronio, now joined by Jacob Mizorowski. And a lot's been written about you, Jake. First of all, it's your first big league camp. How has the first couple of weeks been? What has been... uh, just kind of the mood every time you get to walk into this clubhouse seeing all the names around you yeah no it's been a lot of fun and it's been crazy it's i don't know it's unreal it's kind of cool to see everyone around you like the big names like devin and colin ray and everyone like that so it's cool i mean you just mentioned your locker mates i mean when you rolled in you see devin is your locker mate first reaction and did you go thank shogger immediately or what was that reaction yeah i was uh, i was kind of confused why they put me next to him but you know it's, i'm i'm excited and i've learned a lot from him in the first two weeks we've been here so it's been fun so let's let's talk a little bit about your arsenal man i mean a lot's been written about you we know about the fastball what do you think people underrate about you we've heard about the slider too but i mean is there is there anything that you feel like hey i, I can do this as well 
Yeah, definitely the curve on slider underrated. People know they're there, but they don't think they're that good. So, when was the first age you really started to break through with some velo? You know, when did it really start to pop off? Maybe get above 95. Let's let's start with when did you first touch 90? Then 95, and when did you first hit triple digits? I think I was a freshman in college, in high school when I hit 90, and then all from there, just all high school, I finally bumped up. I think I was at 97 in my senior year, but and then I didn't hit 100 till my uh, sophomore year of junior college. So it happens pretty quickly. So take me into the process, Crowder College, and talk to Aaron Ashby about this a little bit, about how he arrived at, at Crowder. How did you arrive at JUCO? For, like you said, you're throwing 97 your senior year. I'm sure scouts were asking about going to the draft and then ultimately JUCO. How did all that process shake out for you? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, out of high school, I was committed to Oklahoma State. So and then COVID hits, and I kind of had second thoughts about going to a D1. and decided to go to a JUCO and started looking around and fell in love with Crowder and so we ended up there and it was awesome but yeah no. what what what's in the sauce there at Crowder the fact that both you and Ashby are able to come out of there throwing big league fuzz and to make it you know into a big league camp both of you guys just a couple lockers down from each other yeah no it's a lot of a lot of heart and a lot of training from Lolly, so our head coach. A lot of real stuff too. I mean, you don't have to get the pampered stuff. All due respect to Oklahoma State, you get you get real JUCO grinder mentality, right? Definitely. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah, Ashby walking by. We're gonna talk to him here a little bit too. So, so Ms. Let me get to your goals of camp. You know, obviously, season was cut a little short on purpose last year, just trying to make sure everything gets through last year. What are your goals for this camp? Trying to make sure you get through, get ready for whether it's AA, AAA, wherever they sign you. Just keep going. I don't, I don't think I have a set goal or anything. Just keep doing what they're telling me to do and trust the process. Trust the process is pretty easy advice for you know for a kid that's now in his first big league camp and got a lot of eyes on you every bullpen. What, what's that adrenaline rush actually getting the face hitters again? Unreal. <laughs> it's the best way to describe it. I mean, it's been fun and it's crazy exciting, but I don't know. It's different. Different is good, but hey, we wish you all the best. Thanks for taking some time with us, and uh, good health, and uh, have a great season this year. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Great kid. I mean, so let's talk about the year last year, right? Jacob was shut down by the Brewers for arm fatigue. There was nothing structural that the Brewers were worried about. He had thrown the most, most innings he had thrown uh, as a professional. He threw over uh, nearly 70 innings last season, and the Brewers just said, you know what? We're good. We, we, we've seen what we need to see out of him. The walks were starting to creep up when he got to double-A as well, but, man, the strikeouts are there too. In 21 double-A innings, listen to, this, listen to this line. 21 double-A innings, 36 strikeouts, which is the good, but also 16 walks in those 21 innings, 11 hit batters, and six wild pitches. And in the scouting report, you've heard it his whole career, elite arm strength and slider movement, they can give Mizorowski a huge ceiling if he can throw strikes. Of course, if he can throw strikes. He's only 21 years old. He'll turn 22 uh, the first week of April. He is rate, rated by Fangraphs as the number 34 prospect in all of baseball. Top 40, pretty much consensus uh, across the board. There is serious concern about his command. And the fastball is already graded as a 70-grade fastball. It would be an 80 if he threw strikes. The slider is currently graded as a 60, maybe can reach a 70. And you heard him talk a little bit about that curveball. I would expect him to go right back to AA. And if the Brewers intend to keep him as a starter, we'll know quickly. But he's been 
pretty short with his outing so far down here in spring training. Of course, it's still very early in camp, so that sort of makes sense. But the way I see things, I jokingly asked it, kind of knowing the answer. Like, well, there's a reason why he's sitting next to Devin Williams. That's, that's not on accident, man. That is not on accident. Jacob Mizrowski could be in the big leagues by the end of the year as a reliever. You never know what's going to happen. Now, he's not on the 40-man. There's no rush to get him on the 40-man. In fact, he doesn't need to be on the 40-man until not this offseason, but the following offseason, December of 2025. So there's not seriously a big rush with Mizrowski. But if he's missing bats and he's striking out guys and he's starting to rein in a little bit of the control, I want to see 102 miles an hour. Why not? See that hammer slider? If it's going to be out of the bullpen, it's going to be out of the bullpen. And if he's going to help team the team win, sign me up. I can't wait to watch a lot more of Jacob Mizorowski. He threw yesterday. It wasn't as pretty as the first time was, but it, it's spring training. You're always working on things. We'll see what it looks like in his next go-around. He's not going to break camp with the team. It's That was never going to be in the cards for him. But he's getting closer and closer to helping out this big league club. Let's start shifting gears over to the position player side of things. Let's talk a little bit about this infield log jam and what the Brewers are looking out for. Stay with us. This is Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. More Brewers Weekly coming up on WTMJ. It's Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. Rolling along, let's start shifting over to the position player, shall we? We're going to talk to Tower Black in a little bit. Also, Joey Weimer on his new swing. First and foremost, a lot of reaction to the South Relic infield stuff. He's already gone back to the outfield for a few games. Uh, we saw him out there, made a great play yesterday in Tempe. Uh, he, I saw him do outfield drills again today. I don't think the plug is pulled on third base. I, I, I don't think there's any reason to pull it this early. But as you know, camp wears on, we still got a month left or so. I, I just I continue to think to myself, I think this is more of a break glass in case of emergency move than him legitimately starting games at third base because there's just too many candidates that could fit there, right? So you've got let's just go ahead and go around the infield here of guys that remember I've been saying I believe Tyler Black should make this team, you know, throughout the uh the off season of trying to figure out what's going to be his role is it going to be first base. Is it going to be third base. Well, then they went and signed Reese Hoskins. So it seems like third base would be a more natural fit for Tyler Black. But he's not on the 40-man roster, so there needs to be a corresponding move. And he's kind of a, a one-dimensional player when it comes to defense. But, man, he can hit and he can steal some bags. And I wonder, knowing that they want to find a way to get Tyler Black on this team, he's not going to be playing the outfield, obviously, given they've got Churio and Mitchell and Weimer and Freelich. If Black has got third base, and it goes back to that quote I was talking about earlier, and we gave that example, with Tyler Black playing third base, maybe give up a little bit of defense to get a little more pop in the lineup. And I haven't even mentioned Christian Yelich in the outfield either, so that certainly makes things crowded there as well. Shortstop, we know, is Willie. okay, And then, don't forget, you still got Joey Ortiz, who can play third. He's mostly played up the middle in his career. He's played a handful of games at third. He feels most comfortable up the middle, so you could put him at second base over Bryce Terang. And then at first base, we know it's going to be Reese Hoskins. And then it becomes a question of, okay, well, is Owen Miller going to make this team? Is Christian Arroyo going to make this team? Is uh, somebody like uh, Black certainly is not 
on firm footing at this point, or even, you know, I think Jake Bowers is on this team. I really do. I mean, that was one of the early moves of the offseason for the Brew Crew, but if Tyler continues to improve at first, again, I think that's more of a break glass in case of emergency thing. There will be days that Reese will need a day, and he'll be a DH and not play first base, which is why I think Bowers' positioning is pretty strong right now to be able to stay on this team and play first base. We saw him in the lineup today as well. Made a very nice diving stop to his right today as well. So I feel very good uh, about the defense there. But where does it all shake out? See, I mean, I don't see how you could start Sal at third and say, well, you know, yes, we know he's going to be maybe some growing pains at third base and knock off some rust of learning the position again. But then I'm like, well, why not just put Tyler Black there, who's actually played 100 games of double-A at third base? And that's one of the scenarios that I see with the Brewers that they can use to just try to get some more offense in, right? If you can roll out a lineup that features all of the above, right? So Sal and Tyler, right? So let's say Yelly's in left. Let's go ahead and put let's go ahead and put Churio in center. And then you put Sal in right. Let's say they're facing a righty on the mound. And I know you're thinking, well, what about Gary Mitchell? I know. It's tough. These are tough decisions that need to be made. Then on the infield, I'd put Tyler Black at third. Then you got Willie at short. You got Ortiz at second. And then you got Reese at first. You got Gary DH and you got William behind the plate. And maybe you put Sal in the leadoff spot, William batting second, Yelly in the three-hole. That's something they certainly can consider here if Yelly is back to Yelly form, having the guys in front of him because Williams got great on-base percentage as well. He can hit the ball the other way, have a little more uh, on-base chances for guys like that. And then you have the boppers in the middle, Reese batting cleanup, Willie batting fifth, Gary batting sixth. Uh, and then you could put Black even batting seventh, and it's amazing how how low that is for him, but he can kind of restart the lineup in a way. So I'm not saying they're pulling the plug on Sal, but as I sit here and think about it, it just makes more sense for him to be in the outfield. It really does because if they want to get as much offense into this lineup as they can, it's probably going to be that way. Now, the wild card in all this is Gary Sanchez going to be healthy. And he, again, as we said, he's only taken BP. Got to make sure there isn't another setback with his hand. And it's also why Eric Haas is still hanging around, too. They're not going to make the decision on backup catcher until they absolutely have to. And if the Brewers do decide to carry three catchers, that certainly throws a wrinkle into all of this. And I haven't even mentioned Andre Monasterio, who's done all he can to add weight. And he's optionable. He's got all three options remaining. The Brewers have one option you're remaining with Owen Miller. And again, that Nashville-Milwaukee shuttle is going to be used heavily on the infield. Just some infield infield takes. I think it's going to be a, a lot something to monitor here coming up in the next few weeks. There will be a lot of split squad games second week of March uh, where a lot of guys are going to start to shake out of where they're going to play. And uh, we'll start seeing some cuts happen that week as well. Take a quick breather. Come back. Let's hear from the man we've just been talking about quite a bit. Let's talk to Tyler Black on WTMJ. Catch more Brewers Weekly coming up on WTMJ. This is Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. Tyler Black, very quietly, had one of the best seasons on the farm for the crew. Problem is, he was teammates with the guy who was 19 years old. Jackson Churio was his teammate for the majority of the year down in AA Biloxi. But I'm telling you, man, 
I am really excited about what Tyler Black can become with an elite eye. Let me read you a few of these numbers from last season in Double A. A four eleven on base percentage. He's always been an on base machine. Uh, he played in eighty four games in Double A. Then he got thirty nine games in Triple A. The walk rate stayed virtually the same, fifteen point eight versus fifteen point six. In fact, his strikeout rate rate went down when he went to Triple A. But part of that is because of the sticky ball in the first half of the season in Double A. And he's sneaky. Had some pop too. Fourteen homers in Double A. Four. In AAA, a BABIP over 320, slugging over 500, uh, WRC plus over 140, meaning he's over 40 points above league average. And oh, by the way, he stole 47 bags in AA and eight more in AAA. He's a full full palette of uh, tools for him. Of course, there's been a lot of talked about his defense, which is what we just spent the last segment talking about. But he's out here trying to learn a new position. We caught up with Tyler Black this week in the clubhouse here on WTMJ. Tyler, it's been a really fun camp for you so far. I mean, Graham, we've only played a handful of games, but seen a little bit of third, seen a little bit of first from you. Where do you feel right now? Is it going to be your home, or what's your plan defensively as things move forward for 2024? Yeah, um, honestly, just the big thing for me is staying ready wherever they put me. Um, obviously, I feel most comfortable third. Played, I think, 100 games or so last year out there, so... Um, First, just kind of gaining experience still. I'm starting to feel really good over there, but, yeah, wherever they put me. I mean, you've kind of bounced all over in the Brewers org. I know you originally were a second baseman back in college. What has been this process like of, and it feels like every other week you're learning a new position? Yeah, um, definitely not easy, um, but at the same time, you know, I'm going to do whatever they ask of me. So, uh, you know, just uh, trying to work as hard as I can wherever they put me, and, you know, experience is the big thing. So the more I can play, the more I'll feel comfortable. Right now, obviously, there's a lot of talk about third base, a lot of talk about second base, a lot of, you know, a lot of moving parts right now. Obviously, you're not on the 40 men yet. How do you take it day by day? What are your goals? You know, trying to make sure. Yes, we're still in February, but you're still trying to compete for a spot. You know, hopefully, come March. Yeah, I think the big thing is just like you said, taking it day by day, um, one pitch at a time. And you know, I come in every day and try to try to get my work in wherever it is, first base, third base, wherever. Um, like I said, wherever they put me, I'm going to try and be great at it. So, Let's talk about your offensive approach. I mean, a lot has been talked about your ability to call balls and strikes and being able to understand the strike zone. And you got a little taste of the ABS last year. So first and foremost, where do you think your eye comes from? And then what was your, your takeaway from a little bit of AAA and seeing the automated strike zone? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the eye just kind of comes from reps man I don't know people ask me that all the time um, don't really have an answer for you uh, but the ABS is really cool um, I really liked it I think the more you can kind of just dial in a real strike zone it's going to help the game and um, you know for sure there's some quirks and changes they need to make but I think it's heading in the right direction for sure you had a heck of a year between double AA and triple A last year. Is there anything that you really are proud of from what happened last year, whether it's your metrics, whether it's just your end of year on base percentage? Like, What sticks out to you about your 2023? I think the big thing was staying healthy. Um, it's kind of banged up in 2022, uh, missed a lot of time. So staying healthy, with that comes experience, seeing pitches. So I think that's the big thing, and then that's going to help me. So. You had a front row seat of Jackson as well. You two were kind of like a yin and a yang down there in Biloxi. What's it like playing with him? What do you feel like can be the future of maybe you being a part of this freshman slash sophomore group of brewers coming up to the uh, big league soon? It's exciting, man. It's really exciting. Um, not only Cheerio, but we got a 
bunch of other guys I'm rearing to go. Um, but yeah, seeing him every day was special, man. Seeing him grow was special. Um, right in the year in AAA, he looked way different than he did when I first played with him in double A and um, you know the sky's the limit for that kid for sure. Talk to Pat Murphy about you and about what you're trying to do defensively and what you're trying to do I mean we saw you score from second on a ball that was dropped at first the other day in Peoria you're a gamer I mean is that like a proper description a scattering report of, of what you're trying to do out there on a baseball field? Yeah um, you know at the end of the day play this game to win right so um, whatever I can do to help the team um, whether that's on the bases in the field in the batter's box um, I'm going to try and gain that edge for sure Tyler Black appreciate the time man best of luck thank you out of Wright State University another example of the Brewers draft coming through he was a competitive balance pick 33rd overall and it's a great picture a reminder from that Baltimore Orioles trade they got the 34th pick overall from the O's in the competitive balance. So if you can get a Tyler Black-esque character, you're going to be happy. And this is what the Brewers do. They are a really, really good draft and develop type team. And not everybody's good at it. We know that. But this is what they like to do. And Tyler Black has been uh, continued success and really, really fun to watch in his time so far in spring. we still got plenty more time to see him, and I I'm going to keep my – you know, keep my wagon on that horse. I, I still think he deserves to be on the opening day roster. I, I'll live with it at third base. It should continue to get better working on it every single day. And I, I want to see him in the big leagues. I, I think it's a great fit. I understand Sal learning third is trying to do what's best for the team and trying to find a way to get Sal, Garrett, and Churio, and Yelich all in the lineup. But Sometimes it's just, it's really, really tough. Depth is a good thing to have. And uh, for some of the projections, in case you were wondering, Zips has Tyler Black. Uh, the strikeout rate's a little high. I don't see that happening at 22%, but still a 12% walk rate, which would be elite. Also uh, forecasting a 101 WRC+. plus. As a 23-year-old rookie, sign me up for that right now out of him. Zipso is not giving a ton of credit to his speed. It's always tough to judge because you, know, you can't steal first. He's got 25 stolen bases is what Zips is saying for Tyler Black. So I'm looking forward to it, and uh, we'll see what he can produce for this next month or so in spring training. All right, let's take a breather. Come back. we got more to talk about. Joey Weimer, he's got a new swing. What's it look like? What's it sound like? The man of many words, Weems, joins us next on WTMJ. More Brewers Weekly coming up on WTMJ. Genetics. Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. Saw a photo that made me smile. Seattle Mariners uh, on Twitter, at Mariners. Baseball is the best, all caps, with the blue heart for Sarah Lang. She was in camp. She got to meet Julio Rodriguez. So really happy for Sarah as she continues her battle with ALS. That made me smile. Love that. So she's in Arizona. Hopefully we can... See her at some point, maybe at Brewers Camp for uh, for something fun. That'd be cool. Anyway, I, I told you we were going to talk about Joey Weimer. So let's talk a little bit about Joey Weimer, shall we? You may have seen the video by now or the photos by now. Weimer has completely changed his swing. And I'll let him describe it. And I talked about it a little bit in the notebook that I wrote from Friday. Next edition of the notebooks coming out this Friday morning over on WTMJ.com. The numbers... Obviously, you know, for the season aren't great. 204 average, 645 OPS. Uh, he he did hit 13 homers, had 19 doubles. So it's in there. You can certainly argue there should be more of that in there. But over his final 67 plate appearances, he did not hit a home run. 
He only had three extra base hits over that time. He was 11 for 61. That's a 180 on-base percentage and a 230 slugging. In fact, in the entire second half, he only hit one home run with a 265 slugging. So Joey knows that his calling card is his slug and is his ability to do damage to the baseball. 6'4", 226 pounds, wants to be able to make contact more. And that was the primary goal of this offseason. Here's what Joey had to say about changing his swing. What a year last year. I mean, you kind of got thrown into the fire. Immediately. Have you had a chance to kind of look back at you know, day two of the year and you're at Wrigley Field and yeah. pretty much stayed almost the entire year? Yeah, I mean, it was a uh, dream come true. Um, we'll always be thankful for that year. Uh, I got a lot to learn. Uh, learned a lot. Uh, made some adjustments necessary this offseason and ready to go. So let's talk about those adjustments, right? So you and I talked about it briefly at the beginning of camp. For those who haven't heard that yet, what, what's the explanation and what's kind of the you know the thought behind what you're doing with your swing? Yeah, um, you know, it's pretty simple. Uh, making more contact, you know, better things happen. Um, just kind of cut down the swing and miss. Uh, everything's a little more simple, you know. Lowered the, uh, lowered the, the load, I guess, in terms of movement. Um, set the hands a little bit more so there's no, you know, not going fishing as much before. So, um, just kind of simple things. You know, this is a swing that for you is like kind of like your calling card. Yeah. It's a big swing, even throughout the minors. And obviously, the big leagues didn't go your way, but how do you, you know, kind of sit there at the start of the offseason and be like, all right, I'm ready to make this change? Aside from obviously the numbers, like, yeah. what makes you ready? I'm ready to start. Yeah, I mean, it's tough to completely overhaul in the middle of the season. Um, there was a ton of little subtle adjustments, uh, but I, I do think I needed more. Um, and that's what this offseason was about. Um, kind of just reflecting and realizing what I need to do. What, what's the process like? So once you're actually in the cage, are you watching a lot of video, just taking as much velo as you can? Take me through what that process is. Yeah, um, it was a lot of machine, a lot of velo, uh, a lot of spin, a lot of uh, um, just kind of figuring out where I can get to in terms of not losing my swing, what makes me me, um, but at the same time cutting back. Uh, but not trying to be completely robotic because you know everyone hits different. Um, I can't just get in there and you know, stand there straight here. So I was talking to Yelly about hitting too. It's just like yeah, there's no one way to hit. There's a lot of voices that can get into you know big leaguers and just like hey, you should do this and you should do this. And how do you manage to filter all of that and say like I think this works for me or who's your support system to help you figure all that? Yeah, I mean you got to be a sponge, take take stuff from everybody, um, but at the same time recognize what works. For you what won't. So with the year that's ahead, and obviously it's crowded out there right now, your defense was awesome last year. What do you hope can carry over? What, what impressed you about your season last year? Yeah, I mean, I was happy with the way I played out there. Um, you know, it's something I take pride in. Uh, you know, hope, hope the pitchers always know I got their back. Um, so, so kind of just trying to continue that, um, but but realizing I need to, need to do more with the bat. And, and looking around, I mean, you got Jackson, you got Garrett, you got Sal, who's going to be playing the outfield. Who knows? And then you've still got so much talent in this outfield room that was coming up through the system, kind of sort of together. Were these conversations ever happening? It's like, hey, we might be all arriving right about the same time. Um, that's not my job, you know. I don't, I don't try to figure that out. I just go out there and play the game, and you know the chips will fly where they will. Amen. Yeah. Throwing glove, right? That's Joey Weimer for you, man of many words. But uh, you, you salute to the initiative. You know, if you if you don't make changes and you expect new results, yeah, come on, man. I mean, I'm really happy with if I'm the Brewers and if I'm you know the coaching staff. 
Bryce Durang's put on good weight. Andrew Monasterio's come on and put good weight. Joey Weimer's trying to rework his swing. Sal Freelich is willing to learn a new position. Garrett Mitchell is healthy and ready to go. Jackson Chorio is showing up to camp with a smile on his face every day. Reese Hoskins is taking lives, giving pointers to pitchers, seeing things out of the hand, and like giving leadership. Yelich giving the same leadership. This is a good, good, good start to camp. I don't know if you can script it much better from them. The headlines that we've heard so far from spring training. So kudos to Joey for uh, taking the initiative, and let's see what he makes out of it coming up for the rest of our time down here in Phoenix. Got a few more thoughts. Let's go ahead and talk about the rest of the division because there's some news. It became official today that Cody Bellinger is returning to the Cubs. So let's talk a little bit more about the division. Uh, I've got some takes on it. Let's, uh, Let's round it all up and get ready to wrap up here at the top of the hour on WTMJ. Back with more Brewers Weekly after this. It's Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. Got a few minutes left. Actually did some better timekeeping in the second hour than I did in the first hour. So let's go ahead and look around. I've been giving you the disclaimer all offseason long that I was not going to consider the Cubs legitimate threats unless they re-signed Cody Bellinger. And they did that. Yes, it's got some opt-outs, and it's not quite the deal that Bellinger and Boris were expecting, but he is back with the Cubs nonetheless, and it certainly makes things interesting. And I'll reiterate from our episode a couple of weeks ago about the standings and about Pakoda and what they all think about the Brewers and the Central and what's to come. It is going to be, by the computer standard, the tightest race in baseball, as in the gap between first place and last place is the smallest in baseball. You know, there's no true tanking team. Everyone's in a win-now mode, as Pat Murphy said uh, earlier this week in camp. That was uh, on the heels of uh, the announcement coming out that Belly was going back to the Cubs, and today he signed the dotted line. I mean, you look at it, Pittsburgh's projected to win 73 games. That's the lowest in the division, and St. Louis is projected to win 85 they're still only giving Chicago a 500 ceiling. You're not a ceiling, I should say, but a projection. You know, they're saying 81 and 81 is what they're expecting Chicago, and that is including Cody Bellinger on that team. So I find that interesting. But then they're only giving Milwaukee a 13% chance or 11% chance to uh, get a wild card spot, a 25% chance to make the postseason, which is roughly half of the Cardinals at 60%. But yet, the Brewers are projected at 79 wins. The Cardinals are projected at 85 wins. That's a hot week. That is one hot week that you can go 6-1 and one in a week and the Cardinals go 2-5. and five, And all of a sudden, you know, you're within a game or two of what that deficit would be. It can happen in the blink of an eye. And it just takes one hot week. And I will reiterate, do not sleep on the Reds. I think everybody... Everybody is underrating the Reds and what they're going to be able to do this season, with, especially with their offensive game plan with Steer and McLean and De La Cruz and Encarnacion Strand and Benson and Candelario. They, they got some hitters, man, and I'm looking out for them. And I want to—I misspoke earlier saying that they're facing the Reds again on Friday. They're facing the Padres in a split squad on Friday. The uh, Brewers don't see the Reds again until they go to Goodyear next Wednesday. 
They'll have a split squad at the Reds and also a split squad at home against the Guardians. And uh, that'll be it against Cincinnati for spring training. A couple of uh, split squads. But then the Brewers will see Cincinnati on the first true road trip of the year when they go to Cincy and they go to Baltimore the first week of the year. And in case you missed it earlier, I'll reiterate it again. The last games for the Brewers against the Central Division will be September 2nd through 4th. The final three weeks or so will not be against the Central. They get three more with the Cardinals, and that's it. And I'm looking at this schedule. The Rockies are the Rockies. They're probably not going to be contenders. The Giants are tough to read right now, but they'll have a West Coast trip in September, the Giants and the Diamondbacks. They'll also be home for the Phillies, who will certainly be in a tough NL East race. They'll be fighting the Diamondbacks, as we mentioned, back-to-back weekends with them. And then they go to Pittsburgh, and by the end of the year, they could be a very different team, or they could be competing and being tough. And then they will end with the Mets at home, and it's kind of wild that they bookend it with, with New York. It's not a very easy September, including a West Coast trip in there. You leave in multiple time zones, going back to Pittsburgh, where it seems to rain every other time the Brewers go to Pittsburgh. But a good handful of home games for the final month of the year. Just just keep an eye on that as one of the anomalies of this schedule. August looks looks tough. August looks really, really tough. And I, yes, they open with the Nats for the opening weekend of August. But then they go to Atlanta, home for the Reds, home for the Dodgers, home for the Guardians. And who knows what the Guardians will look like. That'll be after the trade deadline. Then they go to the Cardinals. They go to the A's. Hold your jokes. They host the Giants. We just talked about how unknown they are. And then they go to Cincinnati for the last time. So August is going to kind of make or break this team, in my opinion, given how little you're going to see the rest of the division in September. And this division, man, tell your friends, tell the naysayers, tell your fantasy draft uh, friends, this is going to be maybe the second best division in baseball. I'm not putting it ahead of the AL East. I'm just not, given what the Yankees have done to their offseason. You always know that the Rays are going to find a way because that's what they do. The Orioles and their young young kids and, of course, Corbin Burns. Who knows what Toronto is going to be able to create. They're in a weird spot given they're not clearly not going after any of these major free agents unless they go get Montgomery or they go get Snell and something seriously changes. But you've got four legitimate teams contending in the AL East. You can easily say there are four legitimately contending in the NL Central and a fifth that's close in the Pirates. I mean, that eighth, ninth for the Pirates is sneaky great with Chapman and Bednar. That's that's pretty darn good. Look out for those guys. They're not going to be a pushover this season. Let me give you an upcoming schedule here, shall we? Tomorrow in surprise, the Brewers will be on a webcast against the Rangers. Uh, you can catch that with the variety of radio talent. I believe tomorrow will be... Uh, Lane Grindle and Josh Maurer. Good to hear Josh back on the airwaves today here on WTMJ. Then they're back at home, as we said, for the Padres. That'll be on Friday. And if I'm not mistaken, that game will be right here on WTMJ. And then also this week, the Brewers will be on Saturday at home on WTMJ for the Los Angeles Dodgers. They made a couple of moves. I wonder what's what's going on with them, right? This should be interesting. Uh, yeah, we'll see. Maybe we'll see Shohei. Maybe we won't. I imagine we'll see Mookie and Freddie and all of those guys coming up on Saturday against the Dodgers. And uh, just to reiterate, Friday is actually a webcast, not on WTMJ. Saturday is on WTMJ. 
as is Sunday against the Diamondbacks in Scottsdale on WTMJ. As for our shows here, we got another one on Friday. Then we kind of get back to normal uh, in a couple weeks' time. Next Thursday night, we'll be back to our normal time slot Thursday night. That'll be at 8 o'clock Central Time. But then we're going to do a podcast-only version given the uh, a couple of Bucks games that are going to be happening uh, the following week and the, the next two weeks, rather, 13th, 14th, and 20th, and 21st. The Bucks will be playing on both uh, Wednesday, Thursday, so we're going to get a little creative with making sure you get the content that you want here on WTMJ, your home for the Brewers all season long. All right, two hours down. I really appreciate everybody that listened to us here live on the radio. My thanks as well to our producer, Max Myerson, here tonight back in our the uh, Wisconsin Avenue studios. My name is Dominic Catronio. I'll holler at you again on Friday, same time at 6 o'clock. Until next time, keep on swinging.